0: Well, hello to everyone here in this room at one of our campuses or joining us online. If we haven't met, my name is Brett and I am one of the pastors here at Menlo. I am our next-gen director, which means I get to work with our amazing kids and student teams. Now to all the kids and students here in this room or joining us today, I just wanna say welcome. I am so glad that you are here in this room. See, Menlo is a place for you and we are so glad that you are here. Today, we're continuing our series looking at the complicated life of King David as we explore how to embrace our humanness as we live with God in the everyday human moments of our lives. And now today's passage is one that some scholars refer to as one of the most important events in all of Hebrew scriptures as this passage redefines God's relationship to his people and provides hope for generations to come. And I believe that what we will discover through David and through his interactions with God in this passage will challenge how we parent our families, how we approach our everyday lives, how we look at our jobs, our relationships, our classes, and our everyday moments throughout life. Now, if this were a TED talk, this is the point where I would tell you that this talk today could be the most important message that you have ever heard because it could change the trajectory of your life forever. You know, have you ever noticed how as a culture, We are so obsessed with the future, with knowing what's gonna happen next. I mean, think about it. We have industries that are focused on predicting how the financial market or the housing market is gonna act in the coming months so that we can make a decision whether it's time to buy or whether we should sell. We have medical companies that can look at your DNA to let you know about potential health risks that you might have. We have meteorologists measuring or analyzing weather patterns over the years to see how climate is changing, to help us know how we can live differently today to change the way that life is going to be in the future. Even the movies. If you have been to a single Marvel movie in the past 10 years, you know that after the credits roll, there is always a short little tease about something that is to come. And so you sit through 10 plus minutes of names on a screen simply to see a little 30 second clip of something that probably doesn't make much sense, but it doesn't stop people from all over the internet trying to predict this is what's gonna happen. Get excited. You know, my wife and I, we've been married now for just over three years and we've gotten to this point in our marriage where almost not a day goes by, definitely not a week goes by without someone wanting to know about what's next. So when are you gonna have kids? And my answer continues to be, we have a one-year-old puppy and we're waiting for her to tell us, you know, mom and dad, it's time for us to have a family. See, we wanna know about the future because if we know what's next, we might be able to predict what's coming. We might be able to change what might happen to anticipate the things that are coming. Maybe we can control what's gonna happen. Today's event in David's life that we're looking at finds him in one of these what's next sort of moments. And as we've seen in previous weeks, David has gone from being this small overlooked shepherd boy to the king of Israel now that Saul has passed away. And David has established himself as this powerful king who, as we talked about last week, has just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, which was kind of the symbol of God's presence in Jerusalem was now here. And so I would invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible app to 2 Samuel chapter seven. And as we look at this passage, we're gonna focus on three key movements in the passage. And if this passage walkthrough today were sponsored by Sesame Street, they would probably say that the three movements are brought to you by the letter P. So if you start to zone out, I encourage you, look through the passage. See if you can figure out what are the three Ps that we're gonna be looking at today. So P number one. David's plan. Verse number one says this, when the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. You see, God had established David's kingdom and brought peace to the land, but there's one problem. David looks out at his huge, elaborate palace that likely made people stop and stare. And then he looks down at the tent where God's chest is housed. And he thinks, this isn't right. God deserves better than a tent. But you know, I'm the king. I can do something for God. I can make this right. And so David goes to the prophet, Nathan, and asks him about it. And Nathan, probably thinking, wait, the king wants to do something for God? Wow, my job is easy. Of course, Why, why do I even need to ask God about it? Of course God would want it. You're doing it for God. And so Nathan says this, he says, go ahead and do whatever you're thinking because the Lord is with you. I mean, God would be on board with someone doing something for God, right? Well, not so much. As we continue reading, we find out that that very night, the Lord's word came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and tell him, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a temple for me to live in. I imagine David sort of thinking, wait, God, what do you mean? Don't you understand? I'm doing this for you. Why are you stopping me? What's going on here? Well, for a moment, I want us to go back in time three to 4,000 years to the time of David to understand a little bit about the cultural context surrounding ancient Israel. Many in the ancient world believed in what John Walton, an Old Testament scholar, calls the great symbiosis. Now, a symbiotic relationship is one where two different species form this sort of long-term relationship, benefiting one, oftentimes both, species. This past week was Shark Week on Discovery Channel, which is a must-watch event in our home. And there's this relationship between the remora fish and sharks that just always fascinates me. You see, remoras are these ugly looking fish who have this strange little fin on their head that allows them to sort of suction cup on the bottom of a shark. And so they hitchhike on these sharks, going through the ocean, eating the food scraps that sharks leave behind. And then when the the sharks stop, the remoras go around the shark, kind of give their driver a car wash, eating the parasites off of their skin or off of their mouth, benefiting one another. Nature is awesome. Now, in a similar way, the people living in the ancient world often believed that the gods had built the world for themselves, but they sort of got tired of running it. So what did they do? They built humans. And the humans existed to sort of keep things going. They would provide homes for the gods. They would work the land for the gods. And as a result, the gods would protect them. The gods might help them have food. There was sort of this relationship of you do this for me and I'm gonna do this for you. And so rulers of nations, they would make it a priority to build their gods, these huge elaborate temples in order to ensure that God would be with them and God would bless them. So in David's cultural context, David's plan to build God a temple makes complete sense. God had just given Israel rest. Of course, now he's gonna build God this elaborate temple because he wants to make sure that this time continues. Now, have you ever found yourself approaching God the same way? Thinking maybe, you know, if I pray before this meeting, then God's gonna make sure it goes well. If I take my family to church this Sunday, God's gonna start blessing our family. If I give my time or my money to God, then God is gonna give me this job that I'm hoping for. God, I'm gonna do this for you. Now I want you to do that for me. Now, maybe we would never actually say this out loud, but I don't think we have to look far to see elements of this great symbiosis showing up in our faith today. And here's the problem with that that I think David soon discovers. The God of the Bible is not like other gods. Now God continues speaking to Nathan saying this, I haven't lived in a temple from the day I brought Israel out of Egypt until now. Instead, I've been traveling around in a tent In a dwelling, and throughout my traveling around with the Israelites, did I ever ask any of Israel's tribal leaders that I appointed to shepherd my people, hey, why haven't you built me a cedar temple? So then say this to my servant David this is what the Lord of heavenly forces says I took you from the pasture, from the flock, to be the leader over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and I've eliminated all of your enemies before you. God here is flipping this entire, do this for me and I'll do that for you mindset on its head. David, if I had wanted a temple, I would have told you. But you see, you, you've done nothing for me. Yet I've been with you. I've been caring for you. I've been protecting you because this is the type of God that I am." See, David had a plan. David had a very well-intentioned plan, but God wasn't asking for a plan of something for us to do something for God. Instead, God had something even greater in store for David. And this leads us to the second movement, P number two, God's promise. And God continues saying this to to Nathan. He says, now I will make your name great, like the name of the greatest people on earth. And I'm gonna provide a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and no longer be disturbed. Cruel people will no longer trouble them as they had been earlier when I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a dynasty for you. David, what kind of God am I? I am a God who gives generously, and I am gonna make you a dynasty. Now this verse, the Lord will make a dynasty for you is a bit of a play on words in the original Hebrew. The word translated as dynasty is the Hebrew word bait, which means house. And in the passage just before this, God uses the same Hebrew word when he says, you will not build me a temple of Beit for me. What God is saying here is David, you see, you wanna build me a house but no, I don't need a house from you. Instead, I'm gonna be building you a house that is even greater than anything you could have ever imagined. I don't need your house. I'm building you a house. The late pastor and theologian, Eugene Peterson, he says this, he says, there are times when our grand human plans to do something for God are actually seen as big distractions to what God is doing For us. You see, David's building plans for God would interfere with God's building plans for David. He's saying the kingdom that I'm building here isn't what you do for me, but it's what I am gonna do through you. See, David's plans, David's plans would risk him seeing God's promises right before his very eye. I wonder if any of us are ever so tunnel vision focused about what we wanna do for God, that we're completely missing what God wants to do through us. And God continues to elaborate on his promise when he says this. He says, when the time comes for you to die and to lay down with your ancestors, I will raise up your descendants one of your very own children to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a temple for my name and I will establish his royal throne forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Whenever he does wrong, I will discipline him with the human rod, with the blows from human beings, but I will never take my faithful love away from him like I took it away from Saul, whom I set aside in favor of you. Your dynasty and your kingdom will be secured forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This section alone could take up an entire sermon, but for today, I wanna to point out one important implication of this promise. David, he wanted to build a house for God's ark the symbol of God's presence in Israel because the house would be a permanent structure letting everyone know that God's presence was here among them. It's a field of dream sort of mindset. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, God will stay. But here's the thing, you can't control or confine God with a building. God is making a promise to David that he doesn't need to worry, that God isn't actually going anywhere, that God would remain true to the promise that God had made to David's ancestors a thousand years before and that God's faithful love now would be present for David and would be present for David's line for the years to come. David You don't need to secure my presence or my love because it is already freely available to you. And that is a promise that changes plans. So how does David respond? And this takes us to the third and final movement and the final P and it is this, David's posture. We read this, then King David went and sat in the Lord's presence, David sat. Once again, Eugene Eugene Peterson says this, he says, this may be the single most critical act David ever did because leading up to this moment, we're wondering what kind of king is David gonna be? Is David gonna be a king like Saul? who takes matters into his own hands, trying to control God. Is he going to use his power to impose his will on others? Or is David going to be a different king? And then David continues by saying this. He says, who am I, Lord God? And of what significance is my family that you have brought me this far? but even this was too small in your eyes, Lord God. Now you have spoken about your servant's dynasty in the future and in the generation to come, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, for the sake of your word and according to your own will, you have done this great thing so that your servant would know it. This is why you are so great, Lord God. No one can compare to you. No God accepts you, just as we have always heard with our own ears. Now, Lord God, confirm forever the promise you have made about your servant and his dynasty. Do just as you have promised so that your name will be great forever. When people say the Lord of heavenly forces is Israel's God. You see, David, he steps down from his throne. He lets go of his plans that he's holding to, and he turns God's promise into prayer. You see, David discovers that God cares more about our posture than God cares about our plans. Again, God cares more about our posture than God cares about our plans. What plans for your life, for your future, for your family are you holding on to that you might need to let go of in order to take a posture of sitting before God? You know, in our go, go, go culture, it can sometimes feel as though sitting means that we're giving up. I mean, if we aren't moving forward, if we aren't prepping for what is to come, we're already behind. And people could have looked at David and said, David, if you don't build this temple, do you know what you're doing? You're opening us up to be attacked by other nations that do do more stuff for their God. What are you thinking? But by sitting before God, David was doing more than any of his plans could have ever accomplished. You see, by sitting, David was entering into God's presence. He was becoming aware of what God was doing in and around him. And it allowed David to move forward as a king who's not just hoping that God is going behind him, but instead as one who is confident because God, the king of kings, is walking before him. So what does all this mean for our lives today? Well, to answer that, I think it's important for us to go back for a moment to the promise. See, God had said to David that his throne would be established forever and God's faithful love would never leave. But as you follow Israel's story after David's death, you find out, yes, David's son Solomon is the one who built his temple. And David or Solomon's son did sit on the throne and on and on and on. But eventually, as more and more of Israel's kings decided to take matters into their own hands and just push God aside, you find out that Israel gets overthrown, leaving many people to wonder what happened to God's promise. But throughout that entire time, God was so present behind the scenes and God was remaining faithful to the promise. And about a thousand years after David, Jesus was born. And Jesus came from the line of David. And Jesus went around telling people about a new kingdom that was coming. And it wasn't a kingdom that was ruled by human kings or human powers, but instead it was one where God was on the throne where God dwells here in our midst. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus made it possible for us to be a part of this kingdom. Jesus says, for God so loves the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. See, that is the promise that remains true for us today. Jesus has made it possible for us to have life with God, life with the one who sits on the throne. So as we close today, my invitation for us is to sit with God. And listen, I know that this invitation to sit with God is something that is so much easier said than done. Over the past couple of years, I've tried to make it a commitment to set aside time to be with God every single morning with my cup of coffee. But I'll tell you that even though I've made that commitment, when I sit down, my mind just starts to run. My phone keeps fighting for my attention. And it's hard for me to actually sit and be present with God. Because even if we wanna sit, life doesn't stop. Work responsibilities keep coming. Kids need to be taken care of. Homework needs to be completed. Bills need to be paid. And sometimes it finds it's hard for us to find time to sleep, much less sit and be with God. And you know, sitting, stopping, that's risky. I mean, if we sit, what if God doesn't actually come through? What if God doesn't actually care about me? What if I get behind while everybody else just keeps going? But what if God's promise is true? What if God is sitting on his throne and that that God loves you and that God is with you and that God cares about you? And that God is saying to you, you can trust me with your plans. You can come, you can sit with me because I have more in store for you than you could ever imagine. Will you step off your throne, let go of your plans and trust in God's promise as we take a posture just like David's and sit before God. In just a moment, we're gonna practice sitting in silence with God. And as we do this, whether you're at one of our campuses or joining us at home or wherever you are, I wanna encourage you to do whatever it is you need to do to slow down and focus on God. Maybe that means turning off your phone or adjusting in your seat, maybe closing your eyes or holding out your palms like this as a posture of saying, God, everything that I have that is yours. Whatever it is, try to do that in this moment. And as we sit, I want you to think about your plans for yourself. Think about your plans for your family or your future and ask God to show you where it is that your plans, maybe even your plans for God, might be keeping you from seeing the promise that Jesus has for you and seeing what Jesus wants to do in and through you if you would just let go and trust. Now, for some of you, you haven't slowed down in who knows how long. And so this is gonna be a bit of a challenge because your mind is gonna run from one thing to the next. And if that happens, that's okay. Embrace it. When something comes up, pray and say, God, help me give this thing to you. And as soon as the next thing comes up, do the same prayer. God, help me give this thing over to you. And now there's some of you in here that this might be your first time at church. And you're just sort of checking out Christianity and you you hear that we're gonna do this and you're like, wow, this is a little strange. First of all, thank you so much for being here. We are so glad that you are here. And second, I wanna encourage you to do this as we sit, to ask the question, if what I heard today is true, what does that mean for me? Friends, We embrace our humanness when we take on a posture of humility, when we sit before God, trusting in God's promise, no matter what comes next. Let's sit with God.